You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. Like I always say, we have a fun show for you guys today. We're going to put a bow on USC's 34-30 win over Arizona in the desert. Chris and I were there for that game, so we'll have some interesting uh, takes on the game. And we'll have a, a mini preview as far as USC's matchup against Utah, which as of recording is still on and still scheduled, so we'll get into that. As a reminder, you guys can email us your questions or submissions to the podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. We got an email this week, guys, so I will be reading that, which is fun. But first off, like I said, guys, overall takes from this last-minute win. It was the second last-minute win of this season. It's the first time in USC football history that they've done it back-to-back. Chris, I'm going to start with you. What were your overall takes? You know, this team is 2-0, and five points away from being 0-2, and, and it very much feels like we're covering an uh, 0-2 team just by from all the, the hate uh, USC fans have been giving uh, USC's performance, rightfully so, because, again, it felt very much similar to the Week 1 victory. They didn't have to pull it. Uh, they didn't have to pull it out as much as they did uh, against Arizona State with a couple of crazy plays, but still playing playing poorly throughout the first three quarters, couldn't get it done in the red zone, and then Keaton Slovis and that offense come alive, and then the defense closes it out. Just a very similar blueprint, and that's going to catch up to them. But here we are with a 2-0 team. It's true. They are 2-0. They are winning. They're finding ways to win, but you're barely beating inferior teams. You know, USC should be, you know, talent-wise, they should be able to put these teams away. And just like it feels like there's a few plays every game where it's like if they just did this or they just did that, they just did this. And that just seems to be the repetitive theme over and over for this team in the last couple of years. And it's showing up once again. We'll see how they do going on the road to Utah. Going to be a tough matchup for them. They never play really well in Salt Lake City. Utah is a brand new team, I think, and you know that they, they have they don't have new coordinators like USC has been facing the first two weeks. But they got new personnel because they lost a ton of talent off last year's team. So another team USC is going to be more talented than. However. Can they go into Salt Lake City and put the Utes away early, uh, or are they going to let Utah hang around and then Utah playing at home and playing in cold weather? Does something happen that doesn't break USC's way? Because last two weeks, late in the game, everything's kind of broken USC's way with tip passes and a little bit of everything. Yeah, these types of wins just don't seem sustainable. And you have to have this feeling like if they're not correcting things week by week, the the luck in the, the talent over – the luck and maybe the talent advantage is going to run out at some point. And everyone knows I've circled this Utah game on the calendar from day one. Uh, Rice Eccles, always a tough place for USC to play. And then you have a Kyle Whittingham team, which I think is coached well, no matter uh, who they have on the roster. Now, this is going to be like a COVID roster for Utah, so we might not know exactly who they have uh, scholarship-wise. But I still think it's going to be a tough fight for USC. And you, you'd hope, if you're a USC fan, that... Uh, these cardiac wins kind of subside and you get some real talent showing on, on game day. You never have a problem 
with winning games with luck. You never want to not be lucky, but you can't rely on luck. You know, you got you got to have some talent, and your talent has to start playing through. You think back to that Auburn team, uh, 2011 or 12, whatever it was, when they beat Georgia on a tip pass at the end of the game. The next week, they get the kick six to beat Alabama. They make it all the way to the national championship. Hey, it took a lot of luck for that team to get to the national championship. But your talent also has to play through, and that was against really good teams, not against inferior teams that you should be beating, you know, that you're a double-digit favorite over uh, in these games. So that's something USC has to start making those strides, and especially in a shortened season. They have to start putting things together quickly. Yeah, the old saying goes, you know, a cat has nine lives. How many lives do you think USC has burned on these first two wins? I would say at least three in the first one, and I would give it maybe two this week. So I'm saying you're down to four. Maybe four for the first one alone. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think, how many they've cashed in so far. What's the, like, conversion rate for lives per game? I don't know. Look at back. Look in the back of one of those, you know, scholastic notebooks that they have all the conversion charts. I'm sure there's a, a <laughs> okay. one for luck and, and not a cat's lives. I don't know. Is there also a conversion rate for the, the shortened season here? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess. Well, we'll look at that, too, when we get one, when I get your hands on one. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, well, let's get into stock up, stock down. Chris, you nailed it last week. You did a great job. Rookie, rookie performance. Let's go straight to you, Chris. Stock up who you got. Yeah, last week I just didn't want to turn the ball over. I just want to be a game manager, take the dump offs take what the defense was giving me. I was like two in his debut. Wasn't great, but they got the dub. This week I'm trying to trying to get my confidence up. Uh, but I'm going to start with running back Marquis Stepp. Uh, 82 yards on the ground, new career high, had a big touchdown. Should have had two if not for that third and goal debacle with the team. Uh, I'm going to eat a little bit of crow because I said in, first, in the first week, I don't know if he was going to play. I made a joke about him having a peg leg that I stole from Shotgun. I know he's still mad about that. <laughs> He texts me every morning about it. Mm-hmm. But he he looked good in week one outside of that fumble. Looked a lot more confident here. Was finding holes. He had that big 49-yard run up the sideline, running with violence. Um, looks like he's getting more confidence in that ankle. He said he still has a lot, he, he still has work to do to get, you know, get it fully there, but he feels good right now. So I'm picking, I'm picking the big, big stepper, Marquis Step. I think that's a great pick. A definitely a stock up. He's also moving up the running back, back rankings for USC as far as the depth chart. You're seeing him and Stephen Carr get the lion's share, and then Vivai Malpei being used in particular sets in that late year, late game, you know, late in the half, two minute drill. That's when Vi is getting a lot of his opportunities. But Marquis Step seems to be uh, his workload seems to be increasing. And also, you heard him this week say that he's getting more confidence and, and it feels like the ankle is getting stronger and feels like he get, could still get even stronger as well. Uh, so I think that's a great pick, Chris. Look, you're coming out throwing darts over the middle, you know? Oh, yeah, that was a, that was a 50-yard singer frozen rope over the middle. I'm Good start it. for you. I, I'm going to just take the obvious one, Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, you, you know, he, he's going – not giving up uh, a, a pressure yet in two games as a left tackle. He's showing that he, you know, ha- can move on the edge. Is an elite guy out there. Has put together. He put together an elite grade this week for for Pro Football Focus. He had the best 
pass blocking uh, grade of anyone in the nation. He had the top uh, power five grade uh, overall for any offensive lineman. So he's showing that he is is a guy out there. Now he's going to be challenged a little bit differently this week, you know, going against Utah. And this will be a good barometer, even though they don't have Bradley and Nye, they don't have Lecky Fotu, uh, John Pinacini, those guys that they had last year on that defensive line. They do have, you know, they do present a different type of front. They're going to come with a four-man front, and you're going to get more strength and speed from them than you necessarily were seeing from that 3-4 look that you, you had from Arizona. So I, I think this will be a good game to kind of uh, challenge him and see where he's at as a left tackle here. But so far, so good. He's been absolutely incredible at left tackle, and you hate to imagine where USC would be without him out there. Don't put that. Don't put that out there. Don't Don't do that. Well, they were almost without him. You know, they, they, he opted out, opted back in. So, obviously, you do have to wonder where they would be without him. Should we count that as one of their lives? Could be. At least one. At least one. At least half a life. <laughs> yeah, getting him back has been huge for him because it just has been able to solidify everything else. And I think Andrew Voorhees has really come along at left guard as well. So, the left side of the line has looked really good for USC. Um, and I think it's only going to get better as the season progresses. Well, since both of you took the two stock ups I had and Shaka made a perfect segue into opting, the opt outs and all that, I'm going to say stock up for Jacob Lichtenstein just because as of recording this, I just now put it out there into the ether that Jacob Lichtenstein is deciding to opt back in per sources. Uh, He had uh, some encouragement from USC's coaches to join back, given the fact that they are uh, having a little bit of depth issues with Brandon Peely out, and now Caleb Tremblay has Stinger, so uh, he is opting back in. He does have to go through COVID-19 protocols and get clearance from that, so it's not like we'll see him against Utah, but a source said the earliest we could see him is probably on Tuesday, at least getting back into team uh, activities and whatnot. The question now is, he looked like a beast over the off season, he looked like he was in great shape, but how much football shape is he in? And will he, how soon could he be able to uh, participate on USC's team? That's the big question mark going forward. So stock up for him at least because he's opting back in football shape. That guy looks like he can compete in Mr. Universe right now and like place in the top five. Have you seen that guy? If you're listening to this, go look at his, go look at his uh, Instagram right now. His arms look like pythons that swallowed uh, ropes and they're just, Ah, this is why I'm. This is my Jake Lichtenstein look right now. <laughs> Not doing again, a do a great impression. Chris doing video tricks on an audio podcast. Thank you, Chris. Visual bits. They're called yes. visual bits. Okay, bits. <laughs> You're the bits. producer. Know your bits. <laughs> Don't screw up my bits by calling whatever you just call them. <laughs> Anyways, back on track here with Jacob Lichtenstein. I, I think you you can get him back in the mix as early as next week if he's cleared. I, I think that. Maybe you don't ask him to play 50 plays like Marlon Tuipelotu is playing, but you know you have a package in there and he can help with that depth, um, you know, and can be a pass rusher as an inside guy um, in, in their dime formations if you want to use him that way. The thing with him is he's versatile. You can use him inside, you can use him outside. It'll be interesting to see where they line him up in this defense in particular. Nick Figueroa is playing lights out right now. 
Um, so, you know, do you want to give him a bunch of breaks? The question is, that second line, you're just not getting a ton of production. Did see some positive things from Tui Tui Pelotu this past game, but behind Marlon Tui Pelotu at, at the nose tackle spot, you're not getting a lot of production there. And maybe you can rotate a little bit more when if you can add uh, at Jacob Lichtenstein to the mix. If you get Brandon Peely back, if you add Caleb Tremblay, suddenly this defensive line becomes really deep. And you can rotate a lot more, keep guys fresh, and do some different things. Maybe you create some different packages based on uh, you know the situations you're getting. So I think it could be a really big pickup for USC to grab him back, even if it's only for you know three games of the season. If they get the final three games in the season, um, so I think it's it's uh, a definite stock up there and stock up for Keeley for the scoopage uh, of pulling this one and, and reporting that right before we we go live or we go recording for this uh, podcast. Thank you, thank you. Stock down for you two for being mad at me for being late for the pod. Had some work to do, We're guys. not too stocked down yet, Keely, and you're the one that set the time, so we don't want to hear it. <laughs> got him. Got her. Chris, what else you got for stock up? Yeah, I'm going to go Raymond Scott. Uh, the linebacker came in for uh, Pallier Nautiote, who had the cut on his head, had to leave the game. Then it turns out he was in concussion protocol. You know, Raymond Scott, if you remember, was a all American high school, uh, all American high school, all American out of Narbonne linebacker, uh, got moved to safety, uh, which was kind of a weird deal at the time. Kind of that nickel safety didn't hasn't seen him for like the last couple seasons, played a little bit on special teams, but hasn't played a lot on defense, got the call, moved to a uh, linebacker from safety, like, two weeks before the season, grab that backup job. Um, I thought he did a really good job coming in there, giving them some, some speed, some pass rush. He had a sack right before halftime. He had a really nice pass rush to blow up a blocker and kind of blow up a play that only survived because Grant Gannell made a really nice uh, last-minute play to the, the running back to dump it off. Um, I know the PFF grades weren't favorable of him, but I still think he came in and had impact. He had some angle stuff. Uh, taking taking bad angles. He I talked to him this week and he said, you know, I think there was a little bit of rust there. He's, he knows he has to get better at that. He thinks that's going to get better as, as time moves on. But, you know, I think he came in, provided some of that speed he has. He's a playmaker. Every time we've seen him at linebacker, when he was there as a true freshman, he made plays. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he can do for this linebacker uh, position uh, moving forward. A guy that only had played seven defensive snaps in his career, and those were at safety last year, where he didn't really fit, come in and play. You know, the PFF grade was not good, but and there's definitely some room for improvement. But I thought, given the circumstances, that you got a positive impact out of him coming in and, and making the most out of that situation with EA out. Um, I, I think it's interesting to see where USC is going to be at linebacker depth this week going in. You know, you, you got some concerns there that there aren't a ton of people um, uh, available at that linebacker group. I've got a stock up, though, for the group in front of those linebackers. And I'm going to give the stock up to Vic Soto because I could put Tuli Tui Pelotu on here. I could put Marlon Tui Pelotu on here. I could put Nick Figueroa on here. You know, Nick Figueroa is the highest rated defensive player so far. People are probably surprised to hear that. But he just keeps making plays, getting in the backfield. He hit the quarterback three or four times in this game, had a sack, had a sack taken away as well. Um, so he's playing really well. Marlon's playing like a beast. Tuli. 
you know, his younger brother did not expect him to be, you know, getting significant snaps. He didn't play much the first game, but this game he comes in, I think he had four or five tackles there, you know, was in the backfield some, creating some pressure. So really impressed with that. So I'm giving the credit to Vic Soto, the defensive line coach, USC's new defense line coach. That group is is overperforming what I kind of expected with the guys that are currently out, you know, with Jay Tefele opting out and with Brandon Peely not being available, Caleb Tremblay, you're a senior not being available in the second game, Tuli Tupelotu steps in. You know, I think those guys are playing really well now and guys like Drake Jackson, who you expect it from and Hunter Eccles pass rushing off the edge. Those guys aren't technically defensive linemen, but they're pass rushers. They're in that unit as well to me. So I, I think that whole group is playing really well. So I'm giving Vic Soto some credit. That's a creative one, Chalkan. I like that. A combination of all of the defensive linemen. And I'm just going to say, I know you said it, we're not in stock down. Stock down for USC for not letting me talk to Vic Soto for two weeks. Still trying to get that together somehow, but we can't get a hold of Vic Soto because we want to hear from him. He's doing a good job so far. Um, so y'all took all of my stock up. So I'm just going to say stock up for Chris Trevino. Did his first post game in-person instant analysis Sounds like it was a, a smash hit. Stock up for Mr. Trevino. I have a feeling that this should be included in Heard It on the Sidelines. I feel like there's some story behind this because... Oh, there's story. Chris. There's story. We can talk about that. Yeah. For, we'll talk uh, about it. Cliffhanger. That's a Heard on the Sidelines piece. Uh, I don't know if you guys have anybody else. I would add a quick stock up for Gary Bryant Jr. We didn't really We didn't see him the first week. He was the, the lead kick returner this week, and they never got an opportunity to return kicks because all of them were out of the end zone. But lead kick returner there, so that was something we were wondering if that would happen as far as him being on the return units and possibly you know being a guy back there to be a playmaker. He's getting healthy, and we saw him uh, as a wide receiver as well. And he had a couple of nice blocks. He got blown up a couple of times, but they turned to nice blocks as well. Um, so a couple inside, a couple outside. So give him credit for, for stepping up his first opportunity, got his first catch for three yards. Also, John Jackson, the third first career catch, a you know, nice one down the sideline with Gary Bryant getting the block on that one. Yeah, I just had a quickly, I also had Nick Figueroa. I know I mentioned him last week, but you just mentioned just being very consistent right now. I think he led the team with seven pressures, which is huge. Um, so big stock up for him. You guys, if you guys want to buy some of that stock, I bought a before the season, you know, we can get in with me and get in with me. It's pretty appealing. Yeah. Okay. That stock. I'll take, I'll take offers. You can DM me or text me. You have my numbers. Maybe. <laughs> I also had Drake Jackson, which seems like an obvious one, but two big sacks in this game. He seems like he's just making the plays when the defense needs it in the end. Hopefully, you know, you see him get finish these plays. You know, he, he mentioned that, you know, Arizona state was getting the ball out a little bit quicker than Arizona. So he wasn't able to finish. Uh, but you know, get the, he's got those two sacks on the board. I think he's leading the team now. Um, but hopefully that, that build and some more to some more, uh, you know, takedowns in the backfield for him. Give a little credit to Hunter Eccles for that second one. He's the one that created that, you know, creating the pass rush, forcing Ganell out of the pocket or off his spot and Drake Jackson cleaned up. And unfortunately for Hunter Eccles, he got, uh, you know, he hit the quarterback and tackled him on another play. Nice play where he stays with it. But Ganell fell right at the line of scrimmage, so it was just a no gain, so he didn't get credit for a sack on it. It's always the worst. Tough luck. Always the worst. Now, not to torture Shotgun too much, stock neutral for this game once again, because I will say this was the most stock neutral, even more so than last week's stock neutral, which was the just how the game was in general. I feel like this game was stock neutral in the sense that it wasn't satisfying at all for USC fans, but it still won in the, the W column. You know, so it's a it's a a win 
USC goes 2-0, and but you kind of didn't really enjoy that game if you're a USC fan. So stock neutral on that front. Shotgun is shaking his head in disagreement. Moving on to stock down. Wait, I completely disagree and say that's, that's this game is in stock down for sure. Because And if you want to change the verbiage of it, you say stock down college football playoff talk. Because sure. you don't win with... You know, with emphasis, you don't win with style points in this shortened season. You got no chance, and no one's talking about that. That question did not come up at all this week with Clay Helton because everybody just assumes, like, that's out the window now. You've played two games, you've won, but you haven't looked impressive, so no one's going to be considering you because everyone thinks the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 South in general is, you know, lower class right now. There's just not a ton of talent there, so no one's go- outside of USC. People are not going to boost them up for beating teams like Arizona when you win by four points and have to make a defensive stop at the end of a game. See, that's fair. Like, I had stock down. I had the eye test and basically everything you just said, Shotgun. Like, you don't look at this team and go, oh, this is a well-run team. This is a team that's together and will take care of business when they're playing an inferior opponent. So I stock down on that front. I guess stock neutral on the fact that at the end of the day, it was still a win, but you're kind of, like, left with a weird taste in your mouth if you're a USC fan. If this was the college basketball or you know any other college sport where the, you actually play yourself to a championship, sure. But in college football, it's all about eye test. You know, it's all about the style points. You don't get if you don't win the eye test throughout the season. You don't get those style points. You don't have a chance to play for a championship. So since there's no tournament uh, like there is in every other sport, you can't win your way in. Then no, I don't. I don't agree with that. For once, I'll I'll say that's fair. I can see your yeah. your, your point. Is no, I no, that wasn't on stock neutral. Got no. her. No. <laughs> you let your guard down, Keely. You messed up. I know. I know. Alrighty, moving on to stock down. Chris, take it. Why am I leading all the time? This is nerve wracking. Um, this one's kind of a, a big, bigger picture, but stock down. Uh, USC's quote unquote weak schedule. Um, I think we saw. Uh, Colorado is obviously a surprise 2-0 team. I think a lot of people thought they weren't going to be really much of a challenge, and that was going to be kind of an easy game for USC at home. But they're looking like a little feisty, looking like that's not going to be a a super easy one, especially how USC has been playing. And then Washington State, you know, they were a little frisky against uh, Oregon a little bit uh, on Saturday. So, and they got a big win in their, their opening game. So I think, you know, people were saying, you know, those two, that was a good matchup for them in the North, uh, you know, going through the transition with the new head coach and new systems, but looks like those are going to be some tough ones that USC is really going to have to fight for, and and they're not going to they're not going to have to. Those teams won't be pushovers uh, moving forward. UCLA looked really good Sunday morning as well. Obviously, that's a unique situation with you know the prep time and whatnot, but they ran the ball really effectively. DTR looked good, so yeah, that that's true. But also, if you're a USC fan, you should be able to watch your team's first two games and go, it doesn't matter about those other teams. So what if they looked okay? Maybe that'll just make us look better in the national eye. We're going to dominate Colorado. We're going to dominate Washington State. Instead, now if you're a USC fan, you go, oh, man, that game looks a little scary now. Are we sure we're going to win that game? You, just, you know, There's just not the confidence. They're not that, that arrogance around USC that there normally is. But with the way that they've, they've been playing the first two weeks and – over the last couple of years, actually. I couldn't tell if you were agreeing with me or you were going to blow me up. I could not tell. <laughs> or you going to pick me off. I couldn't tell what you were doing there. That's the shotgun experience for you right there. <laughs> Shoddy, Thanks. who you got? Stock down. 
I'm going to start with short, short yardage offense. I know it was already down last week, but I'm going to continue. I think you pushed it down. You had a chance to rebound this week. And just too many things are, are going on that is, is not working out for USC. They're not picking up those short yardage situations that you feel like they should be pretty consistent in. And then also, it's not only that they run a play and they get stopped. Sometimes they can't even get the play off. You know, they had a third and one situation early in the game where they, they let 17 seconds go off the clock, looking to the sideline, had to burn a timeout, and then get stuffed on third and one. And then later in the game, they have third and goal at the one-yard line, back-to-back penalties to back it up. So it's not only that, that the plays they're running are not being successful every time, which they're not always going to be successful. They should have a better percentage than they are, but they can't even get the plays going right now. That's It's it's bad right now. So stock down, even though it was bad last week, it continues to go on a downward plunge. Why do you think they look so unorganized once they get into the red zone, Shotgun? Honestly, I think it seems like, you know, they want to be this high flying offense. They want to spread everything out. And then it just presents like a different challenge for them. And they don't feel as confident in that challenge. You know, they they don't want to go with those tight spreads. They don't want to have two tight ends on the field. They want to be four wides. They want to have, you know, split the tight end out, not have an extra tight end come in. That's just, that's not what they want to be. I feel like, so that's not what they're good at. Uh, They don't, it just doesn't feel like there's confidence in that, that area. You know, to, to be able to, okay, short yard situation, we're just going to bully ball somebody. They're, they're like, all right, how do we figure out a way to get by with this this so we can get back to spreading our receivers out and throwing it to them? Yeah, how much of it is just the, the field shortening and then overthinking it in that sense? I mean, it is the field shortening because the red zone issues are, are part of it. But it's not like they're always running off a of safety on every single snap or anything and opening up underneath throws all the time. This is running the ball and picking up the guys and, you know, having your assignment, not having missed assignments. Clay Hilton said that's what it was in the fourth down, a missed assignment. Um, they let the, the edge rusher on the weak side come through every time. That was by design. But they have to be able to get the front side blocks so that the running back can run clear and not have to hesitate and allow the, the backside guy time to get there. So, you know, that's the assignments that they're concerned about. They're getting blown up on the edge a couple times with the tight ends and their blocks. So it's just not a consistent effort to block forward. So I don't think it's so much just the field shortening. Maybe that takes away sh- some options on the third and sixes. But the third and ones, I, I think they're just, they're just not being consistent in their run game blocks and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. In the same vein, this is just a quick stock down for me. I just had a stock down on mistake-free football. USC is one of the most penalized teams in football right now. It just seems like the same mistakes that Clay Hilton has identified multiple times uh, each season. They're just not getting fixed, and it just makes it seem like these are impossible fixes when they're not. And Shotgun, it's like you said on the first instant analysis, it's it's one thing when Clay Hilton can identify the issues. It just doesn't seem like they can fix them. So stock down for fixing things that are fixable and stock down for mistake-free football. Also, can I just make a quick uh, audible stock down? Stock down for USC's third quarters. Both third quarters... This season, they've just come out, like, super flat. And it makes it seem like the game's over or should be over, that they should lose the game based on their their halftime non-adjustments. And yet, it's just not good. I will say, USC's defense did make adjustments coming out of the third. I know that they made Raven Scott a spy. But 
Yeah, this third quarter was really weird because they were moving the ball, but they just weren't finishing. And then the defense, yeah, they gave up that huge 75-yard touchdown. But outside of that, they only allowed 20 yards uh, to Arizona's offense. So it was a really weird third quarter. But yes, <laughs> USC is having problems in the third. They're just like, stop, stop, go, start, go. And they just can't get on the same page. Yeah, I think you pointed out there it's disjointed because even though you say they were moving the ball, but you look at each drive, first and 10, the first drive, 16-yard pickup, so explosive play. But then they don't pick another first down up. Second drive, 48-yard play on the first play, and then they don't pick up another first down. They get third and goal and don't get it. On the next drive, they get a 49-yard pickup on second and three, and then they have to go the third and two, fourth and one to pick up a first down and then get stuffed in the third and goal situation. And then the same thing happens on the fourth drive. One big first down, 37-yard pickup on their first play, and then they don't get another first down. They get stopped on fourth and one. So it's like, oh, yeah, you got the explosive play, but you can't put anything together. And and maybe that's just getting down closer to the the end zone and the red zone and those struggles. I don't know what it is exactly, but disjointed and stop and go is, is absolutely correct, at least in that third quarter. Um, and that's kind of been the theme for USC overall. I, I said at the halftime uh, uh, show that Ryan and I did watching from home, I said, I thought the offense was ready to start rolling at that last drive they had at the end of the first half. I thought they moved the ball. Great. You know, they put multiple things together. They strung things together. They had one play build off another and it looked like, okay, they figured out this defense. They made the adjustments. Now they should start rolling. And in the third quarter, it's like, are they are they ready to go? Are they not? I, you, you can't really tell with this offense. So that's something that maybe it's because it's early in the season for them. It's only the second game still. Maybe we'll see it get better. But it, it is definitely an issue right now. It's definitely disjointed, I think, is the best word for it. And it is really stop and go. Until you get to the fourth quarter the last two drives. Obviously. Yes. Thank you for that full team effort on my audible stock down. Well done. That was like a bunch of laterals <laughs> at the end of the game. True. And then I'm scrambling and then I just get hit from the behind and I toss it up a shotgun who sprints 50 yards to the end zone. Of course. That's what shotgun does. <laughs> Chris, who you got for stock down? Uh, this one's kind of a sillier one, but uh, Clay Helton quotes from this week aging well um i think explain i think you know which quotes i'm referring to specifically the arm gate quote that i believe you asked about keaton's passes and to quote uh you know we kind of went back it was about the ball and the wind and the dry environment but he ended it with i don't think you will ever hear about it again after this game that's some hard tripling down on that, especially when they're going to a very cold environment road game. That's just uh, that's just a lot of words that I wouldn't have said. Um, and then he also had another quote about how this is an extremely discipl- disciplined bunch in critical situations. I think I'm paraphrasing, but those are the key words. So those were two big ones that people were really eye-catching and some upset about. Um, but I just don't think those are going to age well. So I'm down on those quotes. We'll see. They're not false yet. You know, they they're, they hold up until they don't. I just don't know how you can confidently say you'll never talk about something again. I feel like that just ensures that you will talk about it again. Could very well be the case. 
And in that sense, I'm doing another audible. Stock down on <laughs> arm gate resolution. Because if anything, Arizona just pumped up the, the heat, you know? And and the fact that their post game press conference their post game comments were different and didn't settle anything really. And then Graham comes in and goes, I don't know why Keaton said mechanics. It's just now everyone's gonna be staring at Keaton Slovis's throws against utah it's just now if you wanted to settle it you definitely didn't so stock down on that i was going to save that for hurt it but and we'll, i'll get into it then as well but uh, my last stock down was kanai malga you know he comes back from the hamstring issue he's the backup to Raylan goforth Raylan's not playing great um you know as an inexperienced guy getting his first time out there really uh, but kanai comes in he subbed in a couple times but in the fourth quarter they took him out of the game after a back-to-back plays where he just wasn't able to get an angle on the running back. They just said, all right, Raylan, go back in there. And they pulled him out mid-drive, which is something they haven't done a ton of, you know, outside of normal rotation. You know, this was basically a drive-by-drive sub for the linebackers. And this time, since it was the fourth quarter, they gave him a couple plays. And when he didn't make the plays, they pulled him out and put Raylan Goforth back in. So maybe partially due to the hamstring issue that he suffered, but he looks a little slow trying to get to the edge. So that's the one to keep an eye on, especially with that linebacker depth like we talked about previously. Are we going to put an APB out for Taylor Katoa? Oh, man, I completely forgot about him. Exactly. Conspiracy. Honestly, I, I did. I, I was, yeah, I, I've yeah, been going through in my mind linebackers and had not even thought about Taylor Katoa at all this week. This is genuine shock on shock. Genuinely, uh, I, w- I, I was up at 2 a.m. in the morning, and I just was like, what happened to Taylor Cotella? <laughs> Searching for answers. I don't know. I had linebacker depth in general as a stock down, just for all the reasons you talked about. And EA being, you know, on concussion protocol, we'll see where it's at on Thursday. But just, yeah, the linebacker depth took a real big hit going into this, uh, going into camp. So right now they're they're struggling, trying to find bodies that can go in there and contribute. They got lucky with Raymond, at least being able to you know, make some plays and stuff. I, I think this is a perfect time for a Taylor Katoa sighting returning to Utah, you know, his home state. We'll see if uh, maybe he pops up and makes some big plays or something just out of nowhere this week. But I haven't even, I haven't noticed him on the sideline or anything. So um, maybe you guys haven't been there. If, did you see him at all? Or is he a mystery man right now? I cannot recall seeing a number 54 out there. And the only time we did see him during fall camp was on the sideline, you know, injured. So, uh, that's an interesting one that we haven't seen him around at all. Forgive me. Another audible stock down. Quarterback depth. That was something where I was told pregame uh, someone didn't make the trip that was supposed to, and it ended up being Mo Hassan. And he had to get emergency surgery for his leg injury, um, which has an official term. Shotgun, help me out here. Compartment syndrome. Yes, which Michael Pittman had. Um, and so now USC is down to Keen Slovis and Matt Fink. So those are two guys that are on your depth chart to be quarterback. So just something to watch out for. Obviously, you don't want that to get to there, but it, it, it would take a lot to get to after Matt Fink. But given what we know about USC's 2019 season, it's definitely possible. So stock down for quarterback depth. And normally you go, oh, it's just a walk on. You don't really worry about it, even if it's a third string guy. But this is a guy that has experience as a fifth-year guy, you know, has played in the SEC, had a start in the SEC, didn't have a ton of snaps there at Vanderbilt, but 
he comes with some experience. So if you got to a third, you never want to get to your third string quarterback to begin with. But if you got to him, you felt a little bit more confident that he can at least throw the ball. You don't have to try to hand it off every single time. So without him and the fact that you're basically, you know, you could be one COVID test away because if one of the two quarterbacks were to test positive, then, you know, US, then there's likely a contact tracing because those guys are around each other a lot. Then you have some, some, some big concerns there with, with the quarterback depth overall. Put some uh, respect on it. Not just a walk-on. Graduate transfer preferred walk-on. Say the full name. Sounds so much better. <laughs> I listed all those things in just separate not pieces, together. okay? Yeah. Also, Keely going real Sam Darnold with all these improvising of plays to get these, uh, <laughs> just making them up on the spot, razzle-dazzle. This is what happens when I run in late to the podcast. It's just top of the head. That's what. I think she should just add in sound bites to Omaha. Yeah, before every one of our. (laughs) Sure, that works. Any other stock downs, gentlemen, before we move on to Hurt on the Sideline? I think we're good. Alrighty, Hurt it on the Sideline. Like I said at the top of the show, Chris, you and I were there. First away game in the COVID era. Let's start with you then, Chris. What is your Hurt it? Yeah, this is something kind of small, but I thought was interesting. I was up in the press box. Not a lot of people. Obviously, um, we are separated by uh, uh, shields, like the plexiglass shields. Um, but I was listening to the Arizona guys talking about, because obviously this is their first time seeing the teams. They didn't play. Um, this is their first game. So they were very, they're in the binoculars trying to figure out stuff. And they were like freaking out a little bit just because it looked like three walk-ons were going to start for uh, Arizona's defense. And they could not believe that three walk-ons were going to start uh, for Arizona's defense. Ended up being two walk-ons. Both their inside linebackers were walk-on starters. So I don't think that's going to make uh, any USC fans feel better uh, that two walk-ons were starting for Arizona uh, this week or last week. Yeah, I did not know that. And that just puts USC's uh, effort even more uh, big question marks surrounding USC's effort. You should be able to score more points. Uh, you should be able to consistently, you know, if you're facing – to walk on linebackers, then you especially should be able to run the ball in third one. And one of them played really well. Credit to him. Freeberg had two tackles for a loss. So there you go. Which means you're not blocking him. Look, maybe they're like, ah, he's a walk on. He can't make the tackle. <laughs> he can't make that tackle. They became 1920s reporters. Yeah, I don't know. Champ, champ. Uh, Shotgun, you were home for this, which was weird. And I assumed your role of photo taker, but how was it like at home? What was your hurt it from the home line? <laughs> well, I, I don't necessarily have any hurt it from the sidelines this game, but there are obviously we still hear things throughout the week. I thought the press conferences, the Zoom conferences we've been on this week have been interesting. Um, you know, especially talking about the Keaton Slovis issue, where Graham Harrell saying it's not a mechanical issue. I don't know where he got that from after Slovis said after the game that it was a mechanical issue while Clay Helton saying, Oh, it's the wind. It's dry conditions. It's slick where Keeley and, uh, you know, one of the Arizona reporters have said there wasn't really much wind there at all. Uh, Keaton Slovis also had some issues the first week with not having, you know, tight spirals. And then Graham Harrell saying this week that basically it got into his head. So now you're questioning, does he have the yips? Is there an injury? Is it just the ball conditions? What exactly is going on there? And I think it's interesting that a lot of times when there's something that 
can be seen as controversial or, you know, a talking topic, there might be a little powwow and say, okay, this is how we're going to kind of settle this. Let's, let's discuss what happened and figure out what it actually was, or just come up with a company line of what we're going to say it is. And neither of those things happen with USC. So you have different sides telling different things. So I just think it's really interesting how separate everyone's ideas on this, this issue have been. Um, so it's something everyone's going to be watching. And especially with the cold, it's hard to throw the ball in the cold. Um, so we'll see if USC has rubbed up those footballs. That was apparently an issue. If they've rubbed them up well enough, the game balls, and they're ready to go uh, at Utah when it's nice and chilly outside. That's what was weird, and Ryan and I were debating it. Do you think because they didn't have a, a clear and consistent story, that means that it is really random and they don't know what it is? Or does that just mean that they're disorganized and don't know what they're doing? <laughs> the latter. I would guess the latter. No one got their story <laughs> straight. They're like a bunch of robbers that got picked up for a crime, and they were like, you know, you're supposed to you're supposed to stay quiet. You're not supposed to say what happened. You're supposed to get your story straight, and these guys did not have their story straight in the interrogation room. Sure. But I will say, as far as heard it on the sideline, this was the first game that I at least was in a non-press box level. And so even on the broadcast, I don't think you can pick up on some of the wobbles or just how non-crisp some of the throws looked but uh to to add on to your herd it shotgun it definitely just did not look right and so all eyes are gonna be on keaton in utah which is if it's a mental thing this is the last thing you want and i made this point on the the parasol pod this is why clay helton and his kind of hyperbolic statements they hurt you in the long run because if it's a mental thing and you need to squash this issue you need your credibility uh, to say, hey, it's not an issue, and then everyone believes you, kind of, and doesn't really bring it up again, and yet we're still talking about it. And it almost, his comments almost made it worse. So, you know, it, it's, if I had to Omaha! Omaha! do another audible stock down, stock down on, on message control, <laughs> just to annoy y'all. Do we just need to get a whole new segment called the Audible Stockdown? We, we can start a whole new podcast for you just called Audible Stockdown here. Sure, the Audible Stockdown, sponsored by audible look at that boom i think the the i think that not having a consensus answer on this not kind of discussing it as a group and figuring out it just figuring out the issue and then being able to talk about it you know with conviction i think leads in that if it is a mental thing i think that only adds more pressure on keaton slovis because now everyone's talking about it everyone continues you know discussing it if it was a mental thing and he just threw one bad and it got into his head for the game, then you could say, you know, that's what it was, but he's been looking, looking a lot better. You saw what he did in the fourth quarter, you know, when the game was on the line, he threw some ropes and, and was able to settle in. Uh, we just got to make sure that, you know, he's going full speed and, you know, not wearing, think, getting in his head and thinking about things. But now there's like seven different narratives that could be told, and now it's going to be discussed even more. And if Keaton reads anything or he looks at social media at all, he knows there's more discussion about it, which only just creates that fester, creates it. You know, it continues the the yips. Uh, you know, the the yips effect is continued by all the extra pressure when you're talking about it. Um, so I, I think that it's something that a consensus and convicted answer as a group would have helped this if it is indeed a mental issue. Shotgun, just get it all out now, because remember, we're not talking about it ever again after Saturday, so just just get it all out. <laughs> not allowed. Well done. Not allowed. Not allowed. 
I'm, I'm, can almost guarantee there will be a question about spirals or non-spirals on Saturday after the game. Wait, you're doubling down on his double down? Wow. You're guaranteeing. You're shorting it. Really? <laughs> I mean, even in the sense that if he did really well, there's going to be a question of, Clay, what was the difference tonight in, with Keaton's throw? You know? like it's, Exactly. It's, it's yeah. It does there's going sense. to be a, that's what I'm saying. There's going to be a question. If he comes out every, he rips every single throw, the tight spiral, like, you know, what, what changed, you know, how was he able to do it in the, you know, cold conditions? You know, that's exactly. not a, not normally a place where you have your best accuracy and best spirals at all times. And he was able to, what, how was he able to put that all behind him? There's, there's obviously, there's a question to be asked one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Chrissy T. What else do you have for her on the sideline? Is this where we talk about the instant analysis? <laughs> well, I okay. I have a couple more like game related hurt it if I if I may. I'm out. So. Okay. Okay. First of all, this was my first game back on like injury duty, if you will. And man, I had to get back into game speed. There was a lot to observe and tweet about, uh, report about. Uh, it just it was weird. It I definitely, I texted you two. I didn't tweet it out because I wasn't exactly sure, but you could tell that EA definitely had a concussion. He sat in the, the trainer's tent for essentially the whole third quarter and just looked really spaced out. Um, the Drake Jackson one, I was very happy to hear that it was just dehydration because the amount of hovering that the trainers were doing around him just did not seem good because uh, that usually means that there's something happening or if there's a lot of hovering, there's going to be a cart soon. So the fact that it was just dehydration uh, from what I was told is is good to hear. And then Talanoa, he was out for a long time, so much so that I thought, okay, he's not going to return to the game, but the trainers kept working on him, working on him, and then he came back, which was surprising. And then every moment he was not playing, there was a trainer working on that quad that he had, uh, the the quad contusion. So I was actually surprised at how much you saw guys come back in after their initial um, issues. But uh, EA was the one that actually lasted the longest. And I initially thought he would go back in because of that. It, he l- initially looked like he had a cut, but and it ended up being a concussion. So some weird injury things. And then um, just... Being able to be in a stadium with other people was interesting. The families were there. I thought that was really wholesome and cute uh, because it kind of felt like a high school game where it was like, go Trojans. Like there were a lot of cute little cheers. And like if you could tell when a certain family member or a certain a certain son did something because a certain section of family went off. And it was just kind of fun to have a very like, it was like an intimate experience with a football family. So it was kind of cool to to have that experience. And yeah, so just weird from going week one, no fans, eeriness to wholesome family cheering week two. Won't be anybody in the stands this week if USC does play at Utah. Obviously the cases are spiking in Utah, so they're going to be very cautious with that. So they're not going to have any fans. Um, to go back to EA, he did have a laceration. He actually, you know, he left the game for a good while, but came back in. Uh, so he, you know, he played through the first quarter, and then early in the second quarter, he had the tackle where his helmet popped off, and then he left for most of the second quarter, but came back in later and played a little bit, and then came out in the third quarter for a couple snaps, and then I don't know if he had another big hit. I didn't really see any area where you'd say, oh, that's a definite, you know, he's shaking his head or, you know, there was a big helmet to helmet collision type of thing. But he only played a couple of snaps in the third quarter and then left after that one. So I think he probably had a laceration and then, you know, had another hit that 
um, you know, forced him into concussion protocol. So hopefully everything is okay with him. You always are concerned when guys have to go into concussion protocol there. But uh, I have one more heard it, and it was going back to, you know, the the comments that some of the coaches made this week. And we asked about under center because that's been a big topic for a bunch of fans. And why is USC in these short yard situations, why they never go under center, especially when Gus Johnson is railing on it all game. Uh, and then just get super hyped up when Arizona doesn't it and it succeeds. I was like, Gus Johnson, calm down, dude. I know you're you're normally you're never a calm dude during a game, but this isn't the the biggest thing to get excited about. I didn't feel like, um, but so obviously it comes up later in the discussion. Clay Helton said, "That's just not us." That was his quote about going to our center. That's just not us. They're not going to do it. Graham Harrell said basically the same thing, but he said they don't have the time to implement it, which is interesting. Because, you know, every peewee coach has to implement going under center uh, instead of doing shotgun snaps. They do it really quickly. The part he did point out and the part that is important to note is that there's more that goes into just getting the snap. There's the footwork of the quarterback. There's the timing of the handoff and stuff. You saw when USC ran the pistol, they ran it for three snaps in this game. Two of them were, were big plays. One of those was a play action. That play action, they nearly fumbled the ball on because – they weren't really in sync, Vavai coming up and, you know, taking the fake handoff. So, you know, they're putting in the – they've got the pistol formation in and they're doing some stuff with that, but they're still a little – there's not a crispness there. So if they also try to add in under center, then you might see, you know, them flub it up really bad or something. So uh, I think that's one of the reasons maybe it's partly because of the this COVID-shortened season and not having all the practice time and stuff, but they're going to focus on what they do um, that would it would seem like that would be an off-season type of thing to do, and they haven't done it in the first two years of this office, so don't expect it to actually happen. I have an audible heard it. I apologize. Omaha! <laughs> Omaha! <laughs> the punt return that Amon Ra had where Dorian Hewitt just cracks him. It You could hear it throughout the stadium. It was rough. And then watching the TV copy, Amon Ra was so pissed. And understandably so, because that thing sounded like it hurt. I felt I could, it was one of those you hear and you kind of, your body clenches a little bit too, because you're like, he got rocked. So uh, that was a different one. One more heard it from the broadcast copies and you talk about it. The the body language, mm-hmm. you know, looking at yep. Keaton Slovis's body language that's where that's a big concern for me is you see when he misses the throw to Drake London, uh, he's a little disappointed, but then later in the game when he has a throw and you know, they don't get a great block in front of him. He has to roll out and throw it away on a third and goal situation. Just frustration. You you see the frustration on his face and it's not like a mad frustration. It's more like a disappointed frustration. Like why is this just not going the way it's supposed to go? Like, I came into the season expecting this is going to happen. I'm going to put up these big numbers. I'm a Heisman candidate. People are talking about me as number one overall pick. This is not what it looks like. And I, I feel like the, he's feeling those frustrations, and those are coming. Those are being visible, at least on the broadcast copy. Chris, is it time? I mean, it feels like the time. <laughs> so it's, it's time to wrap up Heard It on the Sidelines, yes. like we do with instant analysis Look, every not week. My fault, you so, guys- Ten audibles here. It's not my fault. I gave my one and I backed out and I just let you guys do your thing. You guys had to throw in every little thing. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. <laughs> so first, we tried to do instant on the field. USC, audible heard it, was eating outside the locker room. Um, so they had that whole area closed off. 
And so we couldn't like traverse that area to get onto the field. That was like the one opening they had. So we were like, okay, if we can't get on the field, we can either do instant in like concrete or in the press box. We go to the press box. It's like dark, not a great environment. As we're setting up, we see that reporters are now in the stands and on the field. And we're like, okay, I guess they open it up. So we go back down. Time we get back down, we set up. Arizona's SID is like, we're, we're locking the stadium. Yeah, finish up whatever you're doing right now. And I look at Chris, and Chris looks terrified. Not only does he have to do instant, he now has people watching, and the SID is telling him to hurry up. And then so, Kaylee just like, all right, let's do this. I'm like, this is not going to go well. She just gets all serious, and she's like, all right, we're doing it right now. And I was like, uh, it's like kicking me out of a plane when like the pilot was just like, Oh, also, those parachutes might be a little bit frisky. I don't know. They might not work. I don't know. And then Keith's like, all right, ready? And that's what it felt like. We had to. The SID was like, we're locking the stadium. You had to do it. And we had fought so hard to get on the field that I was like, if we don't do it here, we're going to do this literally in a concrete background that looks like we could be anywhere in the world right now, let alone we made this trip to be at Arizona. So we actually filmed an instant on the Arizona field. Terrible. <laughs> It will not see the light of day. <laughs> Chris Chris did his best. That's all I'm going to say. So then we walk out of the stadium and we cross like where they the Arizona band was was doing their like in-game performances adjacent to the stadium. Yeah, it was interesting. It, this was tweeted about that because band, Pac-12 is not allowing bands in the stadium, Arizona just decided to put their band beside the stadium on a field that's adjacent and just play the band from there. So that was interesting. I don't know if you guys could hear them in the stadium or not. I don't know. I think they pumped in like old band music. It was odd. I so, think they were live streaming it. Okay. So we passed by it and the producer head in mind, the scrappy producer in me was like, we could probably do another take in this random field. So I like corral Chris to get back on the field. We kind of dodge Arizona's SID so that we don't look shady as while we're like pulling a U-turn back to the stadium. We get on the field, and as I'm setting up, Chris still looks completely nervous. So I just tell him to take take a lap. Take a lap around the field. He takes a, a mighty lap, comes back, nails the analysis performance. My first reaction was to kick him afterwards because I was excited, and I was like, you did it! And then the rest was history. Now, when you say take a lap, Please explain what you mean. Like, she she just she just made me jog all the way down the. It's like a soccer field practice field. She made me jog all the way down, touch the thing, and come back to like get some of the nervous energy out. Excuse me. Uh, get a lap. Get a lap. What are you? Uh, is this remember the Titans? Did you fumble the ball? Come yeah. on, Petey. Well, Petey. A, a, after that performance, I think it was more punishment. Like take a lap. That that wasn't good enough. <laughs> It was a little bit of both. No, it was just you. You had to. You were just standing there, regretting all your life's choices to get you to this point. So I was like, you need to just run. Yeah, like what could I've done differently to avoid the situation that I'm in right now? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was. It was quite an experience. I do just want to say very quickly. Uh, I do. I seen a lot of. Uh, Keely's been showing me a lot of comments and messages, and I know there was nice people on Twitter. And there were some people on the, the, the live show. I don't know why she's laughing right now because uh, I'm doing a serious moment and she's ruining it. But I do generally appreciate all the nice things because this is not something I'm very comfortable with. Uh, I was a newspaper reporter. I hate being on camera. I want the world to swallow me up and take me down when I'm on camera. These guys make it look really easy, so it's really hard uh, to perform in front of them. Uh, but they've been very supportive. Uh, 
and yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you to all the nice people um, who've been very nice. Oh, that was touching. I was laughing in the beginning because I thought you were being a hotshot thanking all your fans. So I was like, look at how far you've come. You're thanking that's, all the... That, that's the other thing. Never, never let me get a big ego. Cut me down any chance you can. Yeah, here's the thing. Chris is like, spent the weekend talking about the podcast, Shotgun. He was like, oh, I'm going to on the pod. Oh, the pod. Like, he's, he's fully in this, even though he acts like he doesn't like it. He's in it. Fully vested now. I see. I see what you're doing here. Exactly. Uh, and speaking of which, we're moving it on to take it or leave it. Mr. Chris Trevino, hand most, it to us. What do hold you on, got? Let me, let, me, let me get on my dancing shoes so I can dance for the corporate, you corporate fat cats. <laughs> All right, let's get into our corporate gutted take it or leave it. Uh, Keaton Slovis is still the best QB in the Pac-12. I haven't had time to watch a lot of other quarterbacks in the conference, like in depth. I don't feel... Very confident in this take, Mr. Trevino. Not my fault. I still, I still take it, um, and it's very interesting. The guys that you would think are would be at the top have not played particularly well. Jaden Daniels didn't play well against USC. Chase Garbers didn't play well against UCLA in their opener. So uh, a couple of the top guys have not performed terrific uh, so far. And Davis Mills for Stanford, you know, didn't get to play in the, the, their opener. Which isn't necessarily his fault, but yes. True. I'm going to say take it just because stat-wise, he's probably still the best. And he's still making some really good throws. He's making good decisions, not you know forcing throws. It's not like he's turned the ball over. He's got one interception on the season, so and over like 700 yards or 800 yards already. You know He's putting up big numbers still, even if the ball is not coming out crisp. Uh, Marquis Stepp is the best running back on the team. I'm going to leave it because Stephen Carr's blitz pickups have been money for USC. They've been a big reason why USC has been able to connect when teams have tried to blitz Keaton Slovis this, this season. Um, plus, he's running the ball really well and effectively and can catch the ball in the backfield. I think Marquis Stepp is definitely taking his game to the next level and is on stock up. But right now, I still think Stephen Carr is the best all-around back for USC with the way he's running and blocking. This is one of those instances where Shotgun's explanation has convinced me, so I'm going to take it as well. <laughs> I'll let you go first, Keely. No, it's fine. USC needs to try out some of those freshman O-line. So this is a spicy take that I think I threw out to Shotgun the other day. At what point do you move Jalen McKenzie back in and put in like a Cortland Ford or, or a Jonah, Jonah Monheim? Monheim. Yeah. I don't know. Does that sound like you're taking it? Uh, the problem is that we can't see practice. I would say take it if it's a practice thing. I don't know if they're game ready. And I don't know if Jimmins has been that bad that's worth like actually pulling him and moving Jalen McKenzie. Not sure. Can I do a T-vit? Not even <laughs> going to dignify that with a response shotgun to you. <laughs> Yeah, now she's going to try to make that, you know, instead of stock neutral. She's like, oh, Tevit's a thing now. Tevit Nation. Tevit Nation. <laughs> just because she Got can't her. make decisions and she can't come with a conclusion, she just wants to play, ride the middle, straddle the fence the whole way. No, Keely, you can't do that. Life can't. is gray, Shotgun. It's gray. Hey, that's not funny. Just because I'm colorblind, you can't make fun of me. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. I'm going to roll. 
<laughs> Shotgun is spicy. Um, I'm leaving this. Uh, I'm not putting those uh, freshman offensive linemen in. I think one of the biggest issues with the offensive line has been communication. Um, I, I think that there are have been a couple plays where you know they just get blown backers or, or whatnot. But for the most part, their issues have been communication. And I think if you throw in new freshmen, I think that's only going to be, um, you, you know, it's only going to be exasper- exacerbated a little bit more and become even more of an issue. So I'm leaving that one. All right, moving on. Staying with the O-line theme. ABT will be drafted higher than Austin Jackson. It's a really good one, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Shotgun. Go ahead, Keely. Oh, what? I didn't know. Oh, she's just going to teeth it. <laughs> I'm going to take it just for his versatility. He's shown that he can play both guard and tackle. I'm just going to be decisive for the sake of it. I don't know if I fully agree. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to leave it because I think he's still being drafted as an inside guy. Now, there is the possibility he is the premier inside guy, and he's showing that what he can do at tackle will translate inside and, and, you know, you're feeling confident with that. But just the fact that tackles get drafted higher than guards, I'm going to leave it there. I think he's around that same area um, but and could still move up. Uh, you know, if he becomes the premier guy, he could be, be top 15, top 10 even, you know, if a team really likes him enough. Yeah, I just had to throw that in there, Barry. Because Pro Football, Pro Football Focus ranked him as their number two performer for 2021 prospects this week, and they said, hey, don't be surprised if this guy ends up in the first round by when it's all said and done. So just had to throw that out there. Um, I think I think he's definitely played himself into the first round. I know a lot of people were saying that before the season. And Tim Drevno said that he thought it was a first-round guy, but now he can move up into that 15 to 20 range. He said that preseason. Um, I think that he's definitely played himself into being a first-rounder right now. Um, now, how far can he push himself up? Because I didn't think he was necessarily that before, but now I think he is. How far can you move up? That's still a question. All right, you ready to get into some fun ones? Let's do it. Uh, I tuned into Tunnel Vision on Wednesday, and I only I only tuned into one specific uh, part that I thought was really uh, great, and I put it on here. Shotgun as a visual explainer when he was doing his football demonstration. <laughs> so I think we need more. I need think. I think we need to rent Shotgun out for more visual stuff like. Let's get him on like the home shopping network with like the 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 jewelry, maybe some sex education classes, you know, just just everything that goes out there. Uh, maybe some how it's made, you know, when those guys are making stuff, you know, some wood carving. I don't know. I just want to see shotgun visually explain and do stuff. So I'm gonna take it as far as football explanations. Everything else you describe, I'm gonna leave. Nah, she'll teeve it. That's basically what she's doing. She's no, I'm not. Half here. I'm specifying. I'm specifying. I'm specifying. I think I'm a little biased in making this, you know, making a pick here. I will say that I have a teaching background. I was one of my underclass uh, majors, so um, that's part of the reason why. I should do more. I should do more visual demonstrations on this podcast. I think is what Chris wants. No visual bits all the time. That's that's a big no for me. Uh, moving on. This was a highly debated uh, topic in our road trip. Uh, so I'm, I'm leaning on shotgun here to kind of seal it for me. Uh, <laughs> diners that close before midnight. Leave it. Thank you. 
Get the hell out of here, Rubies. Chris, no Ruby slander on the podcast I produce. We love Ruby's Diner. Ruby's Diner, 50s classic. We don't love call it. You, don't you. call yourself a diner if you're going to close before midnight. If you oh close at 9 o'clock, you can go to hell, and I will sue you for putting diner on your freaking uh, whatever, your, your sign. I'm very firm on this. You can go to hell, diners that close before midnight. Chris you're not Savino. a diner. You're not a diner. Take a deep breath. It's okay. Well, most diners need to be 24 hours, but you at least need to be, you know, open till two or three. I mean, you need to be open at least an hour after the bars close. So wherever wherever the locale is, where the bars, what time the bars close, it's you need a to be open 50s at least an hour diner experience. Doesn't Can matter. Can y'all just chill for a second? Ma- don't no. use the word diner. In the 50s, it was the same thing. People okay, go to the whatever. bar and they'd be like, "I need some food," and they go to the diner. What's the next one, Chris? Let's move this thing along. Uh, they do this every year where they have that ranking of the favorite fast food places for every state. Um, so I'm going to read you California's because we're living in California. I also have Georgia's for uh, shotgun. So I just want to get this reaction. California, shockingly, Denny's with the upset. See, th- this is why you never believe any of those things because there's always something that's really, really far out there. Then everybody Before goes, what? Engagement. There's no way. Yep. Exactly. Now everyone knows if, if it's if it's California, even if you don't, if you're not a huge fan, California is synonymous fast food wise with In and Out. Yep. So everyone knows that. I don't know why you would think that and why is Denny's even included in fast food? Exactly. They make these horrible so you talk about it and you re- you quote tweet it and it trends, which works in this instance. And while you're bringing it onto a pod, leave it. Thank you. Are these night. are these always on Reddit? Is it, are these always just this is on Twitter? Did it originate from Reddit? You know, Twitter likes to steal stuff. Probably. You know, like Instagram Live or Instagram Stories. Well, I can't fleets. wait. Fleets. This is why I don't have automatic updates on people. Twitter just messes <laughs> things up. Uh, Georgia Chick Fil A. That makes sense because Chick Fil A is based uh, out of uh, Atlanta, so that makes sense. I also think Zaxby's is up there, but we like our chicken in the South. So you taking it? Yeah, I'll take that one. Okay. Uh, and last but not least, Shotgun just mentioned it, Fleets. Leave it. I don't know what it is, but leave it. I like literally don't know, and I haven't. I pulled a Shotgun, and I'm just like, I'm not thinking about it, and it's not going to be real. So, who knows? It's a good way, it's a good way to live life, trust me. <laughs> no, probably not, but... <laughs> All right. That's it. Thank you to Waffle House for sucking the soul out of this uh, segment with your corporate greed. Thank you. Thank you for staying open past midnight. Oh, Oh, let's go. Okay. I dislike you all. Moving on to our question segment. Let's go to an email from Jeff who says, Shotgun, give me your opinion on what we think USC is trying to accomplish. The defensive line lines up a yard off the ball. Why? I think that sometimes that they're worried about them jumping. Um, so I, I, it's interesting to see that because you see that occasionally with defensive lines, and it's not every defensive lineman, but they'll line up a little bit off, and it'll, you'll see guys that are trying to get a really good jump, and you'll see them rock forward a little bit and then catch themselves, and they don't get a fall, they don't get a offsides penalty called against them. So sometimes I think it's based on a player and whether or not they're a guy that's kind of twitchy and you know they they don't want to get that that penalty. Um, especially in a short yardage situation or like a third and four type of situation. You don't want to give up a five yard and give up the first down. On third and one, 
when it's bunched up or goal line, you don't see those guys back a yard off. He has a second question, which says, why doesn't USC run any line stunts? Watching other teams do it to the Trojans seems to show how devastating stunts can be. If for nothing else, practicing stunts might prepare the O-line for the stunts a little, because they sure don't know how to block the stunts. See, I would disagree, because I think USC be stunting like their daddy. You know, they they be breaking out stunts. Often, one of the reasons why you don't see just straight in-tackle stunts with USC and maybe not some of the, you know, the what Stanford did really well against USC a couple of years ago was taking an end and going all the way and looping around two defensive linemen and, you know, just creating that communication uh, pause for the offensive line is because they're blitzing so much. When you're blitzing, you know, it's kind of a stunt in itself. You'll see the linebacker may start uh, over the A-gap and may end up, you know, on the other side of a defensive lineman. Um, you know, as, as his rush gap. So those are kind of stunts in the way that they're rushing. They're trying to confuse the offensive lineman by wrapping around a different defender. But USC is also using some just straight stunts at times, too. The play where Nick Figueroa got the sack that was negated by Chris Steele's penalty, there was a stunt on that play. He wrapped around someone um, and came in and was able to get the, the tackle on that one or get the big hit in the sack, unfortunately, it was called. Uh, penalty on USC so they are doing some of that stuff but I think with how much that they blitz that they don't do just traditional defensive line stunts as much as they use some different movement with their linebackers and safeties and guys that are coming as well you'll see USC's defensive line slant a lot and then see a guy come from an inside to an outside motion from the second level that's something you'll see a little bit more of my question for you guys is after seeing two games of this team would you want to, if you had the chance, to change your season win-loss prediction? I think I said 5-1 and one regular season, assuming we get the six regular season games. I would probably keep that still. I think this could be the loss coming up. And I know I said that uh, Washington State and Colorado and UCLA, you know, they're, they're looking a little bit better than expected. I still expect USC to pull that out may not be as pretty so i think i'm gonna stick with it right now but that 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 luck we talked about could run out uh, a little more often moving forward i I don't remember exactly what i said if i said five and one or six and oh but they got past arizona state so you got past that one so i think you you know if you if we said five and one then you're playing with house money to an extent um so i feel confident they'll still end up there now, they may be, beat Utah and then lose to a team that you would not expect them to lose to um, or really not expect them to lose to because I don't think they'll lose to Utah either. There's just so, many, so much turnover on that roster that I think USC should still win that game as well. So I think that, that you may end up with 5-1 that way. Now, do I change my mind and say, hey, they're going to go from 5-1 to 6-0? You don't feel confident enough to do that yet either. Um, so you, you feel like, yeah, they'll still get there somehow. Not exactly sure the path of it, but I feel like it's still going to happen one way or another. I think you really nailed it, Shotgun, because even if USC beats Utah, I don't think you feel safe in this team to say, hey, yeah, they're going to take care of business. And I think that is the problem in itself. You can't trust this team, who is clearly talented than the rest of its schedule, to really do what they need to do and I think that's just such an issue and I think that's why USC fans are so frustrated and that's why probably the the wins aren't satisfying for them so and I think that's why I asked this question is because it just doesn't seem like you can really put stock 
into this team because you know where they're going to go trajectory-wise. So I think your assessment makes sense. Well, of course it does. Oh, ugh. I walked into that one. You've got her like five times on this podcast. <laughs> I was I, I didn't get to settle in. I went right from writing an article into this pod. I was a little flustered, I will admit. That's why there was like 90 audibles. I got a ref. I'm calling this thing. I'm calling it. And <laughs> that sense, any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap it up? This team is hard to watch at teams, and they're frustrating to watch for USC fans. I understand that. But there's still that chance that they put it together and could be really good. You know, I, I watch, rewatching this game, and I think I've probably watched this game eight or nine times now, um, but there are a handful of plays that you're like, oh, if this, this play changes, then this game's a huge blowout. You, it, one was a third and three uh, late in the first half. USC had rolled down the field and scored a touchdown to go up 17-10, and they let Grant Gunnell scramble. There's two guys there, and he falls forward for a first down. Arizona continues to drive and kicks a field goal, and in 17-13, instead, USC could have got the ball back with a minute, 20, or 30 seconds left and been able to drive down and get a field goal or a touchdown. Now it's 20-10, to 10, we'll say, with a field goal, and they get the ball back at the beginning of the third quarter, and maybe they score again there, and suddenly it's 27-10, and this game it's no longer a game. Those type of plays, they're just not making those yet, but they're so close that they're, it, it's a tantalizing team. You know, you see it and you go, oh, they're right there. Oh, it's so close. If they only uh. – and that's what I think is so frustrating about this team is you can see the potential and see what's there, but can you fully grasp it? And USC is just not doing that yet. So it, they're hard to watch. I, I know that for some USC fans, but they're going to – they're making for very entertaining games at the least. So your your heart rate may be uh, pumping the entire game, uh, but at least you're getting some some college football's excitement, I guess. But was the Arizona game even exciting? Like, ASU was exciting. I think Arizona, it was just like, I want to turn this off. I got so many texts, like, I, how are you covering this team? I can't even watch it. It just, I don't think, it's that, that talent potential and the fact that they're just in the mud about it is just not fun for fans. How did they know what the score was and how the team was playing? Oh, because they were watching it? Yeah, but they don't want to watch it. Yeah, I just can't quit you. That's USC fans right now. Yep. Yep. It's true. Just piggybacking on what Shotgun said about, you know, the potential to be a, a really good team. And, you know, they, they could easily have been had some blowout wins in these first two weeks. And sometimes this team just likes to just like do a 180 and just like we're down on them right now. But they could also just come out and absolutely destroy Utah this week. Um, it could be like a 48 to 10 game. I don't know. We don't know what to expect. Um, I am siding on the I am siding on the side of them probably dropping this game, but I would also not be surprised if they just came out and absolutely dominated the youths. Keely, is this the false barometer game that Stanford usually is in week two? Ooh. Stanford, we usually see them week two, USC, and whatever they do against Stanford, you go. They're not going to be that. Whether it be really good or really bad, you go, yeah, it's not what this team is going to be. Was that what it is in week two? This is just what USC does every year? They give a false barometer week two, and suddenly they come out and they're playing much better this week? It could happen still. I don't know. I think that's just the Stanford mojo that that happens. No, I don't know. And that's the thing is, like, 
you even kind of went there, Shotgun. You kind of said, like, uh, Helton-esque of, like, I can't wait to see this team in November. You were like, this team is so on the cusp. And the I kind of, I got to admit, went a little ranty on the Parasyle podcast this week. Because my whole question is, if you're USC, should you be getting there or should you be already there? And it's about the brand. And the brand says you should already be there as a USC team, right? I would agree with that. And normally I would say I'm going to give them a, the benefit of the doubt with this crazy 2020 year. But this is the same thing we see continually. So it's not that it's just, hey, they didn't have the same preparation. Hey, it is th- there's these differences. I don't think it's that. I think this is just who they are. Um, and they're going to be frustrating to the fans. But, hey, that might make for some highly entertaining games. Do we have to update the I uh, can't wait to see this team in November given the, the schedule swap? Or pushback, so shouldn't it be? I can't wait to see this team in February. <laughs> I think so. I think that's the correct conversion rate, uh, Chris. Ayo. We gotta, I gotta just... find another conversion chart. Damn it. <laughs> I'll I'll find it. Also, I I just want to see what Keaton Slovis looks like against Utah since he essentially did not get to play last year against Utah. That's a great point. Two snaps, I believe it was. Very great point. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up. For this week's podcast, Chris Vino, well done. Shock and Spreadling, congrats as always for being you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're all really tired and delirious, if you can't tell by listening to this. But that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week.